Everyone has a dream that fills their heart. A journey they must take. A destiny to fulfill. As close as your imagination exists a magical place where wondrous creatures with incredible powers help make dreams come true. It's the world of Pokemon. Welcome to Now Playing's Pokemon Retrospective Series. Prepare for more trouble than you've ever seen. And make it double, we're on the big screen. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. Nuts of the game. Hosted by Arnie. So you're addicted to caffeine. I could stop whenever I want. These are just choices. Another round, extra shot. I guess nine, thank you, sweetie. Justin. Get me the hell out of here. And Stuart. To them, this is just one more challenge. They follow their hearts. That is what sets them apart and will make them Pokemon masters. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. This is what a Frenchman would call caliente fiesta. Listener discretion is advised. We're going to do this, you and me. Today, we're discussing Pokemon Forever. Seriously, the series is never <laughs> going to end. <laughs> Says the guy that's not watching the next 20 movies. <laughs> Starring Veronica Taylor, Ikue Otani, Rachel Lillis, Eric Stewart. Directed by Kuniko Yoyama. This is the now playing co-host who feels like he's been on this show forever, Arnie. Pikachu! You're actually wearing yellow and it's really weird to see you do that. If you put the hood up on your hoodie, you'd actually be cosplaying. <laughs> well, I don't think I've caught them all, but I've definitely caught something at this point. This is Justin. I don't know if it's going to be forever. I know that, yes, this factory keeps running very well in Japan. This is still a big hit in Japan. It's a summer movie, July 2001, Pokemon Forever does Pokemon business, but... Here in America, I suspect a conspiracy. We've talked about the fact that Warner Brothers didn't see a profit in this. They end up selling this off to Dimension, which by this point is owned by Disney. So essentially, you know, they're not having creative control of the content. They're simply putting out in theaters. Disney is only putting Pokemon Forever out in 242 U.S. screens. That is like a drop of about 2,400 screens from Pokemon 3. And even though it's making the same money per screen, they're both pulling in about $3,000 per screen. When you're only on 242, that means you're not even getting a million dollars. Did Disney want to kill this? Did they see this yellow mouse and say, no, we don't want a competitor with our mouse? You could see that. My thing would be, if you look just at the domestic money, though, each Pokemon movie was doing a little under half the one before. We went from about 86 million to 43 million to 17 million. 
I think there's a logic behind not putting a lot of marketing and distribution money into something with diminishing returns. At the current rate, yes, on 250 screens, it made the same per theater average, but if you had released it in 2,600 screens like Pokemon 3, if you look at just the chart, I'm no statistician, but I'd peg it at around 8 million. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you may be right. I think they wanted it to do well. It's in their interest if they got it for it to do well enough. I think the focus was theaters is just sort of perfunctory. We see this as a straight-to-tape phenomenon, and that's where we're comfortable making it. We have our animated movies that go to theaters. We don't want to push this as the same thing. Sure, and they, they probably felt, like you said, with the marketing, they have a built-in marketing with it, with the TV show and stuff like that. Why spend a whole boatload advertising it on TV and pushing it out to a ton of theaters? When you're right, Stuart, the end game is to just get it in VHS and on DVD and sell it that way. Or we're going to hear Robert Iger say they just bought Game Freak and now they own Pokemon too. So Pokemon can hang out with the Muppets and Princess Leia and Iron Man all at the park. I mean... Really, if you wanted to watch some of those later seasons of Pokemon legally, the only way I found to do it is to subscribe to Disney. Regardless, everything else is doing well. I mean, we've talked about, we're still in the Game Boy years, but by 2002, I think they're reaching the final games of the Game Boy and they'll be transitioning to future Nintendo, what was it? Game Boy Advance. Yeah. Came out around this time. I remember getting one of those. Right. And of course, the TV show. Oh, the TV show. I just got to say, they're not even through season four. Pokemon 3 came out at the start of season four. This is coming out at the end of season four. We are still like halfway through Johto. Nothing is happening in this show. Johto is season four because they talk about Johto in this movie. Johto is season three, season four, and season five. They literally have 150 episodes going to Johto. And the games that I've played have also been doing pretty well. They tried to take Pokemon to a new format, and I am a big lover. It's something that I've really gotten into in the last couple of years. I love old school board games, and I wanted to know, could this work as such a thing? I went to eBay and Etsy and found some of the games that came out in 1999 and around this time of this movie to see what it was like to play Pokemon as you would pre-video game. Etsy, are these licensed games? Because Etsy is usually where I find like hand-woven. <laughs> They're there too, yeah, and lots of other weird items. But no, this was just somebody that I don't know why. I think she said she had lots of different accounts for reselling things. And that was where I got the best deal on Pokemon Master Trainer. The first one ever made came out in 1999. Now, I played this twice. I wanted to learn the rules. I played it with my mom. She beat me. <laughs> I know. You can imagine how fun that was. She's like, I don't know anything of what it is. I don't like this. Whatever. She beat me. Fine. Did she like it better after that? She thought it was pretty good, actually. I, you know, I think winning always helps, right? Like, you always like the game you win. It's a die-rolling game. The way it works is you're going around Kanto, flipping over tiles, and it's really the luck of the role as to whether you catch the monster or not. She was just incredibly lucky. Beginner's luck, 
don't know what it was, but she got all the monsters. I just kept not getting the monsters, and she made it all the way to the end and beat the master trainer as well. You can face off against Gary or all the other punks from the TV show that you don't like that always beat you in the arena matches. Now, I played this with you. Yeah. I brought it over thinking, yeah, I know how to play now. I can beat Arnie finally. It was me, you, Marjorie, and Ryan, who is a walking Pokédex. Yeah, it was incredible. He knew all the evolutionary forms and trivia. It was impressive. I don't think he watches the show, but he plays a lot of both the Game Boy games and the game we haven't talked about yet next time, Pokémon Go. And he was disappointed because he not only knows the evolutions, he's like, well, this is a dark type that's vulnerable to acid attack or something. I know, we can't even (laughs) tell you what he was saying, but because certain Pokemon are a certain type that gives you advantages over Pokemon of a different type, and this game doesn't take that into consideration. Basically, you have hit points, and there's ways of pumping that number up, but it really doesn't matter who you're playing when you're fighting another Pokemon. It just matters how many points you have as an attack. I was going to ask if a deep knowledge of Pokemon lore would help you out in a board game like this, but it sounds like it's just kind of themed Pokemon, and it could be something else if they wanted it to be. Yeah, I think so. It helps if you like them because I think Marjorie just got addicted. Like she wouldn't get to the end of the game. She just wanted to catch them all. She just kept going through to collect more and more. She did not care about the, the game at all, really. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> but she did seem to enjoy the menagerie aspect of it. Of just, I think she might have had the most by the time the game was over. It has a lot of pieces. I mean, yes, the roll the die, move number of spaces, moving in a weird pattern. It kind of reminded me of the game of life. And then there's the two different types of cards you could draw like the game of life. But here on certain spaces, you battle to capture different Pokemon. But it's all based on a single die roll. And depending on how powerful the Pokemon is, like you roll a die and you have a if you get a four, five, six, you catch it. Then when they get more difficult, if you roll a three or four, you catch it. And when you get to the really hard ones, if you roll a six, you catch it. And then when you battle and trade, you're rolling a single die. And it really adds a level of randomness that I didn't find very fun. It also was a very long game. It took like two hours to play one round with four people. And by the end, I was like, just kind of bored of moving around the board. And then what you have to try to do is capture... Only one Pokemon. It doesn't matter if you've caught them all. You need one Pokemon strong enough to go up against one of those master trainers at the end. Yeah, and you really want to get one of the legendary. They make it a little hard. They're kind of exclusive to get. But if you can get a Mewtwo or those three Apocalypse birds from the second movie, those really will give you a great advantage over Gary and the other bully rivals. But... In the end, you know what I was reminded of is in sixth grade, we were challenged to make a board game. And I made a board game based on Greek mythology. And I actually submitted it to Milton Bradley. I was so proud of this game. I based it off of Theseus and the Minotaur and the maze, the labyrinth type thing. And you'd go through and you'd fight all these various creatures. And well, okay, that was your investment. In in my board game. Yes, right. They weren't in the maze. No, but you'd fight snake creatures. And basically, I went to the Dungeons and Dragons section of a local hardware store bought some monstrous looking things and placed them around. And in the middle, I did have a Minotaur piece. But according to my rules, beating the Minotaur should be really hard. So you had to roll double sixes twice in a row. I didn't understand odds. I was 11. (laughs) And I got this letter back from Milton Bradley that said it was a very good game. 
when I get a degree, I should contact them. However, the end challenge was a little bit impossible. And having played the game, I did realize if you didn't roll double sixes twice, you had to go back to start to start all over again, too. So that's kind of what this reminded me of is this crazy odds making. You have to roll a six and you have to do it repeatedly. And it just felt very random and not got to catch them all, but got to roll real lucky. You can tell who lost, right? <laughs> Ryan, the Pokemon <laughs> fan, trounced this all. And it is a little hard to beat the rivals, but there's some strategy to it, Arnie. I think you're wrong to say that it's entirely based on rolling a high number. You also have to collect cards. There's other things to hold and keep and do that make it interesting. I actually had fun with the game. I actually liked this game. Because the other game wasn't such a fan of. Pokemon Champion Island. It's a DVD game. Remember those things? Yeah, I mean, not too long ago, I played DVD Star Wars Trivial Pursuit. No, of course, I forget. I don't think I've ever played a DVD game. I played VHS games way back in the day. And it works sort of like that in the sense that you are trying to go around an island and collecting badges. And it's based on trivia. So I'm playing against my mom again, and I think I got her. I'm like, all right, she doesn't even know what a Pokemon is. <laughs> she still won. She's st <laughs> because you have the option for multiple choice, you can basically guess it. And so you get lots of things of like, which in this lineup is not part of the evolutionary chain or a memory game of uh, here's 10 ones really fast. Now, which one wasn't there? That kind of stuff. Basically, the better you know the actual Pokemon and their evolutionary variants, the better you're going to do at this game. And she guessed good because my mom knew nothing and she won the game. But it took forever and, and the gameplay was not fun. Everything Arnie just described about Master Trainer, I would say, is 10 times worse about Champion Island. Thank you for not making me play it. Yeah. But we do have a game for you. We'd, we'd hate for you to feel excluded so, say hi. Hello, trainer. Are you ready for your Pokemon journey? I can read your mind and guess which Pokemon you're thinking of. You just have to picture it in your mind and answer my questions. If I can guess which Pokemon it is, it will be added to your electronic collection. So, Justin, what I'm holding in my hands is actually a Pokeball. It's red, it's white, it looks like the classic design. It's called Pokemon Trainer Guess. And it kind of works on the premise of 20 questions or the old Apple II game Animal, if you remember. This ball is going to ask you a series of questions trying to narrow down all the possibilities of what a Pokemon could be to the one you're holding in your mind. So you need to think of a very particular Pokemon. Go ahead and tell us what it is. And when you're ready, I'm going to turn this thing on and he's going to guess. It's like that 20Q, if you remember 20Q being a thing for a while. And then they made a Star Wars 20Q where you could think of anything Star Wars and it would figure it out. And then they were doing a Marvel one. I don't think Uncle Milton ever actually got the Marvel one out. But they did do the Star Wars. Remember the Holocron you could ask questions to? Oh, yeah. It's like this, but you really need to know your GD Pokemon. It actually gives you a book because, like, if I'm thinking of Psyduck, I don't freaking know the answers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll ask you about height. It may ask you where he lives or what type he is. I can look that up for you. Okay, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to pick one out of my Pokedex on my Pokemon Go app. 
Now, this is only Gen 1. It yeah. only has the first, like, 140. So pick a yeah. early one. It's Kanto edition. So if it wasn't in the first cartoon series or the first movie, it's not going to be in this Pokeball's mind. Do I tell you guys which one it is? Yeah. Because it, it can't hear? It can't hear. Okay. It's, it's, it doesn't cheat. I'm going to do the Jinx. Oh, that's a good one. I think he's here. 124. Yes, he's here, okay. and I have some stats. If I need to chime in, I will. All right, turning the guy on. Here we go. Are you ready for your Pokemon journey? I can read your mind and guess which Pokemon you're thinking of. You just have to picture it in your mind and answer my questions. If I can guess which Pokemon it is, it will be added to your electronic collection. Think very hard of the Pokemon you want me to guess. Say okay when you're ready. Okay. Great. I'm going to ask you a few questions. Answer yes, no, or I don't know. You can also say, it depends. Is your Pokemon mainly brown? No. I see. Is it mainly yellow? No. Uh-huh. Does it have wings? No. Okay. Does your Pokemon usually stand on two legs? Ooh, that's a good question. I'd say yes. That's what I thought. Is your Pokemon more than three feet tall? I'll check for you here. Hold on. I see. <laughs> or not. Repeat. Can you repeat? Can you repeat? Interesting. Does it have legs? <laughs> yes, and it still stands on two of them. Is it a dual type? No. Uh -huh. Is your Pokemon a water type? Nope. Okay. Is it mainly purple? Yes. That's what I thought. Is your Pokemon very small? No. Interesting. Is it an electric type? No. I see. Does its name begin with a letter D for dinosaur? No. Aha, uh -huh, that's it. I got it. If I'm not mistaken, you were thinking of Porygon. Does <laughs> 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 your Pokemon often be found inside of a cave? Is it in a cave? Okay. <laughs> Does your Pokemon have one or several horns? No. Okay. Would you find your Pokemon in a haunted manner? Uh, I mean, in my haunted manner, yes. <laughs> Say that again? Sure, yes. We're almost there. Mm. Is your Pokemon mainly green? He's mainly purple, as I said before. That's what I thought. Does it look like a flower or a plant? No. Interesting. Is it mainly pink? <sighs> no. <laughs> You keep saying interesting. I'm not sure you know what that word means, Pokeball. I see. Does its name begin with a letter K? No. Uh-huh. Oh, I think I know. I doubt it. I believe you were thinking of Geodude. Okay, that's it. <laughs> that's, you get two cracks at it and you fail. So you can enjoy that little toy as well. Not quite a board game, but kind of a fun collector. What I like about it is when all of this Pokemon stuff is over, I can set this on my desk and remind me of all the great hours that I devoted in my life to learning all about Pokemon. Maybe we threw that AI a little bit of a curve with picking Jinx because it's asking about legs and it's like, well, I picked one that has a dress on, so it could have two legs under there. None. That's true. Who knows? You never find out what's under the dress until it's too late. <laughs> and speaking of knowing your different Pokemon, that brings me to talking about the Pokey controversy of the week. The one I've really wanted to talk about because I think it's one that gets discussed the most. And that is Pokemon and animal cruelty. 
does this game, does this show in any way endorse violence against animals? We know that just from the game concept, the guy designed it because he went out collecting bugs. And PETA has a stand on that. They have said all animals have feelings, whether they're pests or ugly. We are against entomology bug collecting. Have you guys ever done that? I had to do that for eighth grade science. You get a net, you get a jar, and you get a fumigating poison. You have to kill these things. There is no nice way to like keep them alive in a tank. I've never done it as a hobby. I remember when I was a really young kid, like six or seven, I was in a summer school class. My mother would do anything to get me out of the house. And we were told to catch fireflies the night before. And so I went out with a jar and I caught a bunch of fireflies with my hand and I put them in the jar and I woke up the next morning and they were all dead. And I went to class empty handed and they're like, where are your lightning bugs? I'm like, well, they died. And they said, yeah, that's the point. We're going to put them under a microscope and look at them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, it, you know, they didn't provide <laughs> us with the right poison. And me being the lazy person that I am, I just got some Windex. (laughs) Here's a tip for those considering such a thing that aren't bothered by the ethics of it. It doesn't work. I pinned all these butterflies to a board and then they woke up. It was a whole board of fluttering. I was so disgusted. I That's just, in a horror movie, isn't it? It should be. I think Reanimator did something similar. Yeah. And I, I had flashbacks <laughs> to this. So unethical. I know I was unethical and I apologize. Hey, I don't apologize. There have been times when I have seen a bug in my house. I'll grab the nearest spray thing and I have used Windex. I have used soft scrub, whatever it takes to drown the bitch. And then I flush it. And you know what? I consider that ethical. It is trespassing. If a human came in here, I have the stand my ground law where I could shoot a human. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Anyway, getting back to Pokemon, we can all see the obvious parallels here. Ash is going out into a forest battling Pokemon, confining them to this palm-sized Pokeball, and then, you know, he pits Pokemon against Pokemon, against their own kind. They're made, maybe that's the word, to fight in these gym battles where he's going to get all the fame, fortune, and badges. And, yeah, it looks like cockfighting. The comparisons to dogfighting seem apt to me. I went online to see what the fans, how they rebutted it. And there seemed to be three basic themes that came up again and again. Is one of them that they're not real? Yes. <laughs> it's gotta be. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll start with that. One, it's just a cartoon man. There's no one really dying. Get a life. <laughs> we haven't seen a rash of Pikachu violence going up lately, so... Two, what the show sells, I don't know if it's in the games, but what the show says very heavy-handedly is that the relationship between Pokemon and Trainer is actually based on friendship, that it's about cooperation, that they're in it together. And three, Pokemon are intelligent, they can kind of talk, they could make the choice not to fight or run away or turn on their master if they really didn't want to. So they must like it, are the three thoughts. Let's break all of those down <laughs> a little bit, shall There's some we? problems with the last one. I have problems with all of them a little bit. I mean, point one, cartoon violence has always been controversial. Bugs Bunny, anvils falling on people, they have always worried about how unreality, and particularly violent unreality, goes into the minds of developing children. 
And so with all of that said, I don't know that Pokemon is any more guilty than any other, but maybe it does subtly set up the idea you're accepting a world where carnage is an everyday occurrence and that you can profit from it. Maybe it does plant that seed in there. I mean, you're desensitized, you're objectifying these Pokemon, and you're asked to think of them as cute animals. I mean, I do see all of them as versions of real-world animals, and they are fighting one another. I will say this in the defense of the creators of Pokemon. We never see any of these guys get mortally wounded or break any bones or limbs or bruise up or have any cuts or anything. So there is some conscious effort to make it violence, but it's not slapstick violence. And it's always in a way where you're not thinking, oh, they just killed that Pokemon. Well, you might have that impression watching the movies. Uh, I don't know if that is always the case in the show. I, there are a few episodes where I saw real trauma. Well, let's just move on to point two. It really ties into that with the idea that this is about friendship and trainer and Pokemon are equal. I think that's true for Ash and Pikachu and maybe the other ones that he collects. It is definitely not true of all of the other trainers because we have seen episodes. Episode 10, how Ash got Charmander is because his trainer was off at a bar and left him out in the rain, which, by the way, if the rain extinguished the fire in his tail, he would die. <laughs> so, like, the, he was, like, quivering and shaking alone. It was, for a cartoon, pretty severe. And then Jacob, of all people, believe it or not, Jacob's really up on Pokemon. He tipped me off on an episode from season 10. I jumped ahead because it sounded really crazy. And it was in which, basically, there is a tag team round. They're at the finals of whatever contest they're in. At least they're out of Johto. And this guy that Ash is working with has this chimp with a flame on its tail called Chimchar. And Chimchar one time did this incredible, like, nuclear blast move, and this guy has been trying to get him to recreate it through trauma. And it is severely upsetting the things that he does to this cute little monkey trying to frighten him, basically, into freaking out enough to give him his killer move. So basically the opening of X-Men First Class with shooting Magneto's mom? It is at least as upsetting as that. And again, <laughs> if, if your audience is small children, doubly so. I mean, I do think you can make the case the relationship between trainer and Pokemon is not always about friendship. And in fact, dramatically speaking, the show has exploited that on at least two occasions, probably many more times. On the point of three, as you say, Arnie, the idea that they're intelligent and could choose not to fight is an argument you could make against people in, you know, abusive relationships, battered wives. I was thinking dog fights. I mean, dogs are very intelligent creatures. They may not sit there and say things like, cocker, cocker, and spaniel, but they're pretty intelligent, but they're also animals that are trained and conditioned you can't tell me that if i go to a dog fight or a greyhound race the dog could just be like no i don't feel like it today <laughs> yeah yeah well they're not saying that about dog fights i think many people say dog fights are bad but in this case they're saying pokemon don't come out like swinging at their trainers they must want to do this it's kind of a blame the victim mentality in truth, you know, you can go along with something because you've been conditioned to do it. And we've seen many unhealthy, abusive relationships where someone does something that they should know better, and maybe you blame them for staying in that relationship, but in fact, I see them very much as victimized. 
I thought you were going to bring up the masked marauder. I'm going to bring that up. <laughs> and we're just going to wait for the show. Yes. Hold that thought and why I might be so opinionated about it. But I do think that, you know, at the very least, these animals are not woke, right? Like, they're definitely not, like, conscious of, like, yeah, I have other choices and options. They're perhaps victims of Stockholm Syndrome. They know no better. And what are you going to do when you live in a Pokeball? I'm just going to go back to point one. It's a cartoon! Sure. And I think when PETA finally tackled this in 2012, about 10 years after the release of this movie, they finally decided to take a big stand on Pokemon. They do it somewhat tongue in cheek. It is not like they are falling on their swords for Pokemon, but they did do something kind of subversive. The day after Nintendo released an upgrade of black and white, they released black and blue, in which you can go to their website and play it now. It's kind of amazing. They use the actual trademark Pokemon characters you know, like Pikachu, only they're covered in like band-aids and have bruises and blood's dripping out of their mouth and they have a syringe sticking in their head. And they get to take on all the people that abuse animals, including scientists and doctors that do lab experiments. Ash is the final boss, actually. You actually <laughs> beat up on Ash at the end. And everyone has their justifications as to why Pokemon need to do what they want. But in the end, you play Pokemon, basically beating the hell out of them to find freedom. And the game was so successful, they decided to use it again against McDonald's because Pokemon had oftentimes been used as the toy in the Happy Meal. A separate controversy, by the way. Lots of choking hazard problems there, <laughs> but that's more common with, a, I think, any toy you're going to find in a Happy Meal. But this one was kind of fun because you find out Grimace is a Pokemon. They, like, get Grimace on board and they storm into a McDonald's and they beat up on the patrons. And then finally, yeah, they take down Ronald McDonald. I think the Fry Guys are definitely some kind of Pokemon <laughs> now that I think about it. Pretty sure you're right. But, you know, it was mildly amusing. It, again, it definitely had a sense of humor. Yes, I think they took the cause very seriously, but not so seriously that they were blindly uh, trying to rescue Pokemon the way that they might rescue seals from being clubbed. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's all a matter of perspective. I mean, if, if you wanted to, you could lay it out and make it sound like Pokemon is purposely being subversive and trying to turn kids into these animals cruelty proponents that will eventually go out in the world and have cockfighting rings or you can understand that it's a show that yes some of these themes are touched on but for the most part it's not promoting animal cruelty it's about a fantasy with these cute little creatures that happen to battle i grew up watching gi joe I have yet to shoot down an airplane. That's all, you know, whether or not the pilot has a parachute, I think there's just a difference. And some of that might be availability to a rocket launcher. And availability <laughs> to a Pikachu. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, you know, here's all I would say. It would be interesting to study. It would be interesting to study of people that were big fans of the show and were exposed to a certain amount of hours to the show. If to look at how they treat animals, if they did in any way abuse animals. If there's a relationship there, that would be interesting to study, but without any further research, it's nothing more than intellectual curiosity. Yes, it is part of a larger pop culture that gets us desensitized to violence and what effect that's having on us. 
Who knows? Probably nothing good, but I'm not going to hold Pokemon as the worst culprit of it. Well, if it makes you feel any better, my own personal little anecdotal evidence is my son Tyler spent lots of time with Pokemon, and he's one of the biggest animal lovers I know. So it didn't screw up at least one kid. I mean, I think it plays to animal love as well. I mean, I definitely think if you love animals, you could just as easily love Pokemon and just disconnect from the idea that they're beating the hell out of each other. But (laughs) since I like to bring up unusual Pokemon items, I am going to throw out the the fact that right after this, the year after they do this PETA campaign, Nintendo decides to release a Pikachu bop bag, which is essentially a punching bag. <laughs> Cute little Pikachu. You're encouraged now to inflate it. You know what these things are, right? Oh, yeah. They, ha- they have them for everything. Spider-Man and superheroes and maybe, you know, like... Characters that seem tough. Popeye. I think Bozo has a best-selling one. I had a clown one as a kid. I had a Batman one, yeah. I mean, again, it's one thing to punch at a superhero. Pikachu? I mean, you know, they didn't do it for Barney. They don't do it for, like, cute characters. You wouldn't do this to Grover. I would do that to Grover. (laughs) If you were trying to say that Peter was wrong, you wouldn't put this on the market the next year. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Grover. Near? (laughs) Far. <laughs> uh, the bop bags. Can't believe those were still being made that far into the to the two thousands. Well, also being made into the two thousands, Pokemon shorts. Mm. This time, I don't know if it was in theaters, but if you got the DVD, which is the way most people saw this Pokemon Forever, you got Pikachu's Peekaboo, <laughs> and it's as cute as it sounds. <laughs> 20 minutes of hide and seek. I kid you not. <laughs> With a killer lawnmower. Yeah, that was the that was like the twist they throw in way late in it. Mostly, it kind of feels like that one that I compared to like Fantasia where they just go to a forest and dance around. Like this one is so minimalist. It really feels the most directed at toddlers and like early, early childhood. And, you know, we've talked about how they're using these things to pad out the runtime. This whole thing is padding. Like by the time they get to playing hide and seek, we're already like five minutes in. And it's just been Pokemon running around looking at a garden and a house for a few minutes. Hey, there's nothing wrong with Psyduck with an inner tube <laughs> getting caught on a tidal wave. <laughs> you got to think for Psyduck. You bring him up all the time. See your dude. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Howard the Psyduck. All right. I get it. (laughs) But then they get to the hiding montage and the song comes on and the the guy's literally singing about counting down from 100. And I feel like we spent 300 seconds with this song and montage of watching Pokemon hide. It took like 10 minutes for them to hide. Everybody hide because Pikachu's coming. (laughs) I personally was annoyed by all the hide and go seek, although it was cute to see all the Pokemon try to hide and use their various physical attributes to hide in places. But meanwhile, we've got a nemesis here, Lavatar, and he is this anal retentive who moved my cheese kind of Pokemon who's very upset because these pebbles that appear to have absolutely no purpose, they just look like garden rock got knocked around a little bit. And so he's going to try to disrupt all their games. In doing so, setting off a lawnmower, which again, way like 10 minutes in, we finally get what I feel like is the kind of cartoon American audiences would suspect which is wild, crazy, Looney Tunes-style slapstick in which characters are on the run from something destructive that is knocking over trees and potentially going to mow them down. And, of course, it's Meowth's 
lawnmower. He now went from window washing to gardening. Yeah, Meowth is the punchline. I realize Pokemon, it really isn't funny. They're not even really trying for comedy. Maybe like cute, cutesy jokes and laughs. But the only time I ever feel like they're actually going for farce is when Team Rocket and specifically Meowth is thrown into these things. I do like the recurring gag in these shorts. Whenever you're falling, there's just a Snorlax sitting there at the bottom, uh, completely passed out drunk, waiting for you to land on him. Yeah, the trampoline Pokemon. <laughs> I think he's my second favorite after Psyduck is the Snorlax. Baba. The Snorlax is messing with my sense of scale with Pokemon because I just assume they're all somewhat similarly sized except for the ones that you do see like the big rock monsters and the big sea monsters and stuff. But like the Snorlax, I always thought he was like maybe teddy bear size, but geez, in this, he's huge. I mean, he's like 50 Pokemon big. He's seven feet tall, officially, from this guy that I have in front of me. It's not from knowledge. I haven't watched that much of the show. <laughs> so they made him much bigger for this, at least the bit in this part of the cartoon. Maybe. How big's Pikachu? Less than two feet. So yeah, they enlarged the Snorlax. For the most part, this feels like one of those pre-language, repetitive, like, again, it, it feels light and airy like Barney or Teletubbies. Is that the market? I mean, these games aren't marketed for six-year-olds, but these cartoon shorts sure are trying to go for that audience. I think with Pokemon, there's something for everyone. And yes, this is for that audience. Indoctrinate them young, give them the games when they're old enough. Yeah, to that point, I kind of wish there was some sort of delineation between the different types of Pokemon entertainment. Because comparing it to Disney, you have like preschool Disney Funhouse, where you know the characters are drawn a little more bubbly, and you can tell that right away it's aimed at the younger preschool kids. And then you have like the regular Disney Mickey Mouse cartoons that are for more all ages. These all just seem to be in the same world and you have to figure it out within the first slow 10 minutes. Like, oh, this one's not for me. This is for the preschoolers. And I just want to, you know, I feel like I bring it up all the time, but Looney Tunes still plays to an adult audience because they reside in like vaudeville. The kinds of sketches and things they do may be corny, but they are timeless. They were made for adults. The things they do, despite the fact that they're animated, the kinds of comedy bits that they do are things that adults would have paid to see in the time of vaudeville. And I think that you can go back to those. It's also fun because, you know, they defy gravity and, you know, they just push the extremes of what can be done using the cartoon medium. Here, I just feel it's always just not giving me enough of the zany. I want zany. And I just don't see that that's an impulse that's driving this. Oh, come on. When you have a riding lawnmower where Lavatar and Pikachu team up to stop it, and it responds by pulling out two chainsaw hands and going after them with chainsaws, that is pretty loony. I salivated a little. I'm like, yes, finally I'm going to get the short that I most want. But I, I, what I'm saying is that when comparing it to Looney Tunes, they're not anywhere in the same spirit. And they could have been. This would have been, you know, cut this down by half and really ramp up the craziness of a lawnmower taking down hedges and putting these Pokemon in silly danger. I think you could have had laughs for all ages. Instead, this is something that truly you will outgrow when you hit puberty. Yeah, that's really at the end of it. My biggest problem with this is the pacing and the length of it. It just feels overly long. And if it could be trimmed to a, a quick seven minute short that has good pacing and goes really quick, I, I probably wouldn't 
be sitting here going yawn but as it is it just it feels stretched out to eternity this is nothing that i would ever want to put under a critical microscope the way we're doing here's the praise i'll give it if this were on in just the background if a young child was watching it and i wandered in and out of the room i would say one the animals are exceptionally cute i love the dog looking thing with the underbite maybe because i have a dog looking thing with an underbite as a pet mm -hmm. and i feel bad for the merman looking chameleon that they forget to look for in the peekaboo game and he's left all alone and i think it's kind of fun at the end when larvatar wants to play hide and go seek after being such a douche to these other pokemon for a while so that's the best i can give it but yeah, it needed a vitamin C song or two for me to really enjoy. That's all that it needed. <laughs> Barely, that is all that it needs for Arnie to really enjoy it here. Also want to point out, when Pokemon are getting together, they're not beating on each other. So again, if you're PETA, you can make the case that Pokemon don't want to hurt one another. Humans make them do it. Except Lavatar wanted to hurt Pokemon. <laughs> And lawnmowers. Did he? Yeah, I mean, you know, was the lawnmower a Pokemon? I don't think it was. No, and it bothered me that physics went away when it turned rubbery and it went into a building and the building started to distend. I'm like, that's not the physics that we've come to know of Pokemon world. That's what I want them to do, Arnie. That's exactly where I'm pushing them to go. But anyway, I didn't get it. Maybe I'm going to get something better when we get into this movie. This movie, Pokemon Forever. We start with a Pokemon trainer named Sam who seems about Ash's age. He comes upon a Pokemon bounty hunter trying to capture the rare Pokemon Celebi, and Sam helps the Celebi Pokemon escape. In the chase that ensues, Celebi panics and time travels. Yeah, the Celebi can travel through time and ends up taking Sam 40 years into the future. But though four decades have passed, little has changed. Now a new Pokemon hunter is searching for a Celebi. This one is Team Rocket member, the Iron Masked Marauder. <laughs> I'm holding it. <laughs> holding it. <laughs> Arnie knows very well what we're going to talk about. You wanted some Looney Tunes injected in here. There you go. Oh, no. I, I've got something <laughs> yeah, I to say. I think Stuart had some PTSD. <laughs> and this hunter has something called a dark Pokeball that when it captures a Pokemon, evolves them to their most powerful state and turns them evil. The Iron Mask Marauder is joined on his hunt by the members of Team Rocket we know, Jesse, James, and Meowth. Into this chaos comes Ash with his friends Misty and Brock and their menagerie of Pokemon. They were sent by Professor Oak to find a Suicune. In their hunt, they come across Sam and Celebi. Celebi is injured, but a visit to the Lake of Life heals him fully. Very video game concept. Mm, I'm playing Zelda a lot right now. I go to that lake with the fairy that gives me all my hearts. But the Iron Masked Marauder ambushes them and uses his dark ball on Celebi, turning him evil. Celebi uses his power to control plants to create a giant kaiju-like vine creature that starts to destroy the forest. With such a powerful Pokemon under his control, the Marauder plans to overthrow Giovanni and take over Team Rocket, something Jesse and James don't really appreciate. Ash and Sam get through Celebi's vine armor and plead with him, going, Indy, no! Making him remember his good self. But the exertion causes Celebi to die, and taking him to the Lake of Life doesn't help, because the lake is polluted with the waste from the forest. 
The found Suicune purifies the lake, but it's still too late for Celebi. Until, from throughout time, a number of other Celebi arrive and bring their dead brother back to life. Celebi takes Sam back to his own time, and Sam promises he'll see Ash again. And we find out that Sam actually grew up to be Professor Oak. But Ash doesn't get to know that secret, as credits roll. You know, they kick off this movie with a totally unnecessary prologue that basically it's for anyone that may not have experienced the anime show or a previous movie. You say unnecessary. I'm like, why didn't they have this with the first movie? I totally disagree. This is what I've been waiting for. (laughs) I've been waiting for a jump off point for this series and it's taken us four movies for them to like say, hey, everybody, whether or not you've seen Pokemon or not, come check it out. We'll explain it to you. Yeah, just a breakdown of who Ash is, what Pokemons are. Again, in their words, humans can capture Pokemon to make them more than just pets. And, you know, they cut away from the arena before we see any fighting. I'm not sure what you would take away from what they're doing, but they set the rules more or less that there is a quest for Ash and Pikachu to wander the universe looking for battles. And I love the fact, basically, this is a way of showing all the different varieties Look way in the background of one shot behind a fence that could double as prison bars. Porygon! The (laughs) one that caused all those seizures. (laughs) I do agree that this should have been in the first movie, but I have to ask. Do you know anything, Stuart, about the making of this movie versus the others? Now, I know we have the same director, but instantly, this movie feels like television. It has the introduction that none of the others had. When we get to the opening credits, it's going to feel like a television credits that follow an intro stinger. Animation, there's none of the CGI that we've praised from the previous films. This one, I know you said it wasn't released as much because of Disney, but it feels like from Inception, somebody was like, let's start cutting the corners. Really? I I would argue that I think this one looks nice. I think each one has gotten a little more sophisticated with its animation. Now, as far as the setup here, I do wonder if this prologue was tagged on just for the home video market. I don't know if the Japanese cut included it. Maybe it did. But it feels like something that would help you understand the TV universe. And it does kind of just feel, as all the movies have, like just another episode. And, you know, I'm fine with it because as this is a TV show and we're now we're going to the theater to see it, you do need a little bit of catch up in case you, you know, haven't had a chance to watch the show over the last three months or something like that. So I'm okay with the quick catch up of who these people are, who we're going to be following and what they're doing. It only took about three minutes and it kicks us into the world and gets you in the mood for the movie. And then we get the prologue that we've come to expect. Like it always seems like the first nine minutes are devoted to a character we don't know. That's not Ash. That's some kid who's going to have have a encounter that is semi-tragic. I think about Molly last time. Our Molly for this movie is Sam. We don't know it yet, but it's Sam Oak, in fact, who has like sideburns like drapes, man. Like, I don't know what is that with this kid. <laughs> but he's just wandering through the forest. Is he a Pokemon trainer? Has that even become a thing yet? We will find out that this is 40 years ago, so maybe in, you know, what I guess, the 60s, 70s, there was no such thing as arena battles? 
but there were random women walking through the forest saying, be careful of the sound. You want some bread from a stranger? Here, I'm serving it to you on leaves. Yeah, is she trying to lure the Celebi to him? Because her like advice is like, if the spirit of the forest is coming, stop and stand still and hold this bread that smells delicious. I mean, it feels like she's setting old boy up here. That is the strangest lady. <laughs> Stuart, you brought it up, and I wondered if it was kind of nonsensical to even ask in a cartoon world. But they kept driving it home that it's been 40 years into the future. We're, as adults, and maybe even kids are trying to like do the math and figure out, okay, so when is this is taking place? And so, yeah, are we talking about the 50s or 60s? And if so, why does everything look like it's trying to be the 19? 19- 10s, 1920s, as far as clothing style, hairstyle, vehicles. I'm confused slash pissed because it made me realize exactly how much they will not link Pokemon World to Earth. Are they even on Earth? They never say a year. I never see cars or, you know, things I would expect. Dogs? Are they on an alien planet? But I mean, when somebody later on says you've traveled to the future, the immediate question is, well, what year is it? They never ask that. Do they not have years? Yeah, not only that, but you would think the whole point of doing something like that, back to the future, you know, just as an example, is you want a comparison. It would be something to like, okay, it was a nice forest 40 years ago, and then when he's going to jump ahead in time, it's an urban mecca or something. No, it looks like the same <laughs> forest with the same <laughs> fallen tree sequoia that's laying there that's got a tunnel going through it. They don't play off the clash of different time periods, and th- that's the whole point of doing a time travel story, I would think. We're left to extrapolate what his sideburns mean at this point. Mm, yes. Really, the time travel is so pointless. He, With the exception of the Shyamalan-like twist that he's Professor Oak as a young kid, he could just be from another village and then have to return to his village and have a tearful goodbye at the end where they may see each other again, they may not. But the twist that it's Professor Oak, unless this becomes a major thing in the TV series, I don't see any relevance here unless I don't even understand how all the games I've played. I've never played a Celebi. I don't understand how time travel would work in a game. Can I go back in time before the person hit me? But I don't understand why they've introduced time travel. I don't like Celebi. I'm just going to cut to the heart of it. The biggest problem with this movie, fortunately, there's two legendary Pokemon, but that's part of the formula now is we realize they got to pull out this legend that... I mean, they're all pretty weird to me. I don't feel like one Pokemon is more legendary than another. But the legend of this spirit of the forest is that it looks like Groot, flies around, and for really no good reason can flutter to the past, to the future, with no hope of changing time. It seems to want to just hang out in a forest and maybe, you know, grow some vines or something. But it's known to abduct people and take them to different time periods. Again, that was that whole weird woman. Like, I suspected her of something. She ends up being completely innocuous. But I'm like, she feels like someone that is setting our poor Sam up for, yeah, I mean, we know he's going to go into time, but there's no good reason for it. There should be a better reason, and there should be a more dramatic 
change once he gets to the future. It should feel nothing like the world that he came from in order for time travel to feel very important. But I don't think time travel is important. I don't even think Celebi is that important or that cute. It worked on Groot. It really doesn't work on me here, this little half bee and half puffball. And to be fair, while Groot, I'm sure, existed in the comics, this was a good decade before Guardians. If anything, they would have copied this look, but I don't know why they were watching Pokemon forever. Yeah, I mean, I just saw him as a cute little baby alien onion head type of thing. It did remind me of one of the teachers in Parappa the Rapper that would have to teach you to dance. <laughs> I forgot about that. Punch, kick, it's all in the mind. <laughs> I, you know what? I think I have a problem when Pokemon try too hard to be cute. Like, Pikachu's cute. Bulbasaur is cute. I mean, they, you don't have to have a baby. And I think here they're trying so hard to make it, yeah, a precious alien E.T. kind of thing. It rubs me wrong. And a Pokemon hunter is chasing him. He happens to run into Sam. And the only way that he can escape is by taking him 40 years into the future to the very same spot that Ash and his friends are going to be walking by. I mean, it's just all contrivance. Now, this is a new concept, though, that I hadn't heard of, the Pokemon Hunter, that <laughs> it made me look. I went to eBay. There are Pokemon Hunters. In Pokemon Go and other Pokemon games, there are people who will just go out and capture rare Pokemon and then flip them on eBay. And so that was an interesting way to look at it. I'm not a trainer. I'm just getting these Pokemon so I can make some money. And again, you could make the case by movie four, maybe it doesn't feel dramatic, but Peter might have a point here. Like, I think we find out he doesn't kill them. We jump 40 years into the future and we see him as an old man and he has a lot of Pokemon still in cages outside his, I think he's in a trailer in the forest. He lives in a trailer park in the forest and all of the Pokemon that he captured, rather than putting in a ball, he put in a cage. And this is where we get introduced to the idea of, Arnie, go ahead and say it. The Iron Masked Marauder. Oh, God, it does. It sends a chill down my spine even now. We need to tell story time. Let's go back in time, shall we? It's second, third grade. I'm riding the school bus. Arnie is my new friend. And why do you know this? He'll just periodically say, I'm the mass marauder, leap atop me, and choke me until I am blue. This begins our friendship. A defining moment, you might even say. And I wasn't wearing a mask. No, and all of it was very weird, and I attributed all of it to you being Brazilian, honestly. When in doubt, you were just culturally from a place where they leap atop you and choke you till you're blue. <laughs> I still haven't been to Brazil for this reason. <laughs> You get off the plane immediately, yes. they're jumping on you. Whoa. I just, you know how sometimes when you're a kid, you're roughhouse? Yes, it was roughhousing. I mean, it came from nowhere. <laughs> I never knew it. I just lived in constant fear of those bus rides. You never fought back was the problem. It was, yes. It was or a, that was what I enjoyed. I yeah, can't remember. That was probably why we became friends. <laughs> Yeah, I had to laugh and wonder if you remembered the master. Arnie, it was it hit me like a thunderbolt, like Pikachu <laughs> shot me when it, as soon as you said that, I rewind. I'm like, what? 
What did he say? Oh my god! <laughs> but that's not the mass marauder you were emulating. I don't know where you got that concept. Not Brazil. From your own demented mind. This is the Iron Mass Marauder. And he's not leaping atop school kids on buses. He is roughing up this old man because he somehow knows Celebi is about to reappear. He wasn't there 40 years ago. And I don't know how he would know that they were coming now. But in some kind of Terminator twist, he wants to be there to capture the thing when he arrives because one thing I saw in my research, Celebi really don't mingle. They're not social. You probably don't see them in the game where the matches are any because kind of like the unknown. They live in their own dimension and they want to keep to themselves. So if you are someone that likes to collect rare Pokemon as Team Rocket is, and he is a member of Team Rocket, then this would be very valuable to find a Celebi. And I'm getting really confused as I see two bounty hunters arguing over prey. Wait, am I doing my Pokemon series? Are we doing the Sergio Leone series? What the hell am I reviewing? Yeah, (laughs) most of this movie is very precious and lulling, but when the violence comes, sometimes it's pretty jarring. And like this Iron Mask Marauder is going to take, I mean, we saw Larvitar in that cute little opener. Well, he is going to put him in his dark ball and turn him into mega Tyranitar. And it's going to be basically Godzilla breathing fire, burning everything inside. I think that it did kill some of those animals in cages. (laughs) I just had to roll my eyes, though. What a common cartoon thing. This will make them evil. What is an evil Pokemon? What is a good Pokemon? They do what their trainer says. I mean, an evil Pokemon would probably burn his trainer, no matter whether the trainer was good or evil. Ganap, ganap, Arnie. I mean, I think there's just something frightening about any time you have hypnosis or characters that you associate with good, Superman and Superman 3, I can think of moments in childhood when they take characters I love and make their eyes go weird and they do evil things. This would be pretty upsetting for the audience to know that they could do this. And indeed, they're eventually going to do this to the cute little Celebi. They don't change his look. He never gets creepy looking. But this is another case where they're going to take something sweet and turn it into a minion of evil. Yeah, and he doesn't evolve into his biggest form. And maybe they don't. I don't know enough about the Celebi or not. But the way I take this whole evil thing is is we're dealing with Pokemon. They're just so diverse. Some of them are cute little things. Some of them are big rock monsters. And from a surface level, you would think the uglier, bigger ones might be the bad guys. But once you start getting into this world, they're all just Pokemon. They're not good. They're not bad. They're just what they are. So I don't have a problem with them saying that this dark ball makes a Pokemon evil because it gives kids something to grab onto. It's like, okay, that's a bad Pokemon. Yeah, one thing that I felt is that a lot of the Pokemon that Ash keeps don't evolve. They're as young as he is. They remain cute and childlike. And I mean, in the card game, you want it to become the big scary thing because you can do some cool stuff. But in this cartoon, I feel like our hero is regressed and wants his Pokemon regressed. So when we see these evolved creations, it's easier to look at them with fear and trepidation and to think that they are evil. I mean, I do think that, yeah, Mega Tyranitar, I mean, Ash could have one of those in his Pokeball and it would be just fine, but it feels like something evil because it is so big and destructive. And that's not how our main character likes to play it when we jump ahead here. 
He's uh, trying to make his riverboat, but wants to get one more fight in with an Australian who has a crocodile, an evolved totodile. Again, you know, Ash has a totodile. This guy has a more advanced version of that. And yet Ash always seems to win with his weaker, less evolved Pokemon. Yeah, which always brings up questions of, I just assume answers are found in the game. You know, like, is it because his Pokemon are specially trained? They might not be evolved, but they're trained in special attacks. All these things are things that I don't think too deeply about, because I just feel like if I wanted to know, there's an answer out there somewhere. I'm just going to take it for what they're showing me on screen. Well, Arnie, from all that you played, I mean, do you ever find it advantageous to not be the more evolved self? Never. Okay, yeah, I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to grow them. I mean, that would be very helpful when fighting something. But again, because Ash is young, if Ash were growing, you know, if they'd ever let him become a teen or an adult, maybe it would make sense to have his Pokemon follow suit. But here, they're cute, he's cute, and it's all about just kind of telling you the rules of the game once again to a basic Electronica remix of the theme song. And of course, he's always going to win with Pikachu. That also seems to be part of the formula. As we see a battle over the credits, Pikachu's going to come in there and do his Thunderstruck. He actually zaps the trainer as well as the Pokemon there. And they just leave them there like, no CPR. I got to go catch a boat. Bye. I did enjoy that, though. It felt like it's just a bit of a shock, but there's something that that trainer should get in addition to his Pokemon. So they both suffer together. And... They're catching this boat. They run into their useless character of the week. I mean, I feel like every movie has somebody. I'm like, oh, I've never seen this one before. Are they a major part of the show to come? No, there's just a perfunctory Mr. White who's like, why don't you come to my home and you can maybe collect some more rare Pokemon and to seal the deal, they look out into the landscape and there's Sweet Coon. You're right, Stuart. It's like they can introduce these characters just because they need a ride somewhere. Mm-hmm. Every movie so far has been somebody who's there for a ride and then shows up at the end again. Yeah, it's very lazy in more sophisticated storytelling, you would never just have a character do that. You would build some kind of arc. I mean, you know, not everyone is going to be a major character, but you would establish him as funny or useful in some way and keep him going. And here, you know, there's just this cut and dry formula to the way that they tell these stories. Honestly, I forgot about him for most of the movie and just assumed that that was Brock. But then I remembered when they showed another Brock looking guy at the end. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the guy who brought him on the flying boat. Yeah, that's basically his gift is that he has a flying boat and he can take him from the steamboat to his home in Arborville, which just so happens to look exactly as it did 40 years ago when Sam first explored it and when the ewoks used to live there as well and yes <laughs> major indoor flashbacks here <laughs> yeah i mean i've actually been to the real forest like it's great when i said i felt like there was a step up in the animation maybe it's just that i simply like where they've chosen to set this tale but i think it's actually the forest if you're going to tell a story about ecology and preserving the forest this is a really lovely forest and i do think Maybe a little bit better, right? A little bit more detail to the characters and the movements. Am I reading too much into that? Visually, I think it's, it's a step up. Yeah. I'm looking at this. I'm enjoying the environments and it all feels more natural, especially coming off of 
the fantasy movie we just watched last week where we spent the whole time in these crystal caverns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because I can associate it with a real place, it doesn't feel so fantastical. And, you know, did you guess the surprise? We know that they're going to meet Celebi and Sam, but before they do, they call up Professor Oak, and he's like, yeah, I've seen a Suicune once before, and they do all that they can to lay the foundation that this boy is actually the future Professor Oak. Is that something you guessed was coming, and does it matter that it is? I'll be honest with you, maybe this was aimed at somebody like me who's not ensconced in this world at all because i did not pick up any of the cues and at the very end when they were hinting at it i was like oh okay it worked on me i actually got a nice little surprise buzz out of it same here when we get to the end i'll talk a little bit more in detail but i did not guess that this was professor oak yeah neither did i three for three i i feel like i should have but I knew that there was something. I mean, there's never anything that they don't call out too loudly, but I couldn't understand how Professor Oak was going to help them with Suicune. And again, I thought maybe Suicune had the potential to be the villain. If we like little Celebi, he's got to fight something. I figured maybe that was the monster of the movie. But no, it is going to be Team Rocket, and that includes the Iron Mask Marauder, as well as Meowth jesse and james which i think you know they use just the right amount in this movie sometimes they're there a little too much and their jokes go on a little too long i feel like in this movie they're pushed even further to the side but it also gives us a little bit of a glimpse at the bigger picture of what team rocket is it's not just these bumbling idiots that are constantly chasing this 10 year old boy i should also throw out they've also gotten a new member as well you might notice that there's this blue blobby thing that kind of pops out that it actually causes their branch to break and why they're not successful at first catching Ash here at the beginning is because of Wobafet. Not Boba Fett, <laughs> Wobafet. Very different. That's one of the detriments to my lack of knowledge with the series is I never know when they're introducing a new character and I'm supposed to be like, oh, cool. Or if I'm just behind the ball and not knowing that that's a new guy. They wanted to spice up the Team Rocket dynamic. So at a certain point, I think it was season two, they had them make a trade of, you know, they collect Pokemon. They're always trying to get Pikachu and never successful. But sometimes they do get good ones. They made a trade and they wound up with this. And it is like this very unhelpful, clingy, stalkery. Like they want him gone, but Woba Fett just won't go away. And he's always causing problems for them. I wondered who that was because he was helping Meowth with the lawnmower early on. Yes. And the shorts. And I'm like, who is this blue blob? Yeah. And they even did make, much like Pikachu, they made one of those bop bags. I mean, he kind of looks like a bop bag. So... It makes more sense. And of course, you wouldn't mind taking a swipe or two at Team Rocket. They are villainous after all. But in a comedic way, the real villain here and the one that they respect, once they find out that there's this guy that, you know, we have a pretty, again, when the battles come, they feel a, a little bit more intense than previous battles. I don't know why that is. Is it the animation? Is it the stakes? But I feel like this Iron Mask Marauder, is it Arnie attacking me years ago on the bus? <laughs> he has some level of threat that feels a little bit more intense. And when he's here at the beginning with his Sneasel and his Scizor, I, I think these are good battles. This is a good way of getting us into what Pokemon is all about. I'm enjoying him just for the simple fact that this is the first movie where we have a well-defined antagonist who 
has a goal and he has cool tech on his side and we know what he's trying to do. In the previous movies, I wasn't really sure what Mewtwo was trying to accomplish. We weren't really sure what Molly wanted other than to have a family. I mean, there, here's a clear goal and a clear villain that we can root against who's overpowering these guys, obviously. So from a storytelling standpoint, I'm following this one so much easier than the previous installments. Plus he's in a spider mech, which is just kind of cool here. <laughs> yeah, I'll agree. And... Well, that is a plus in certain ways. I also kind of see it as a minus in that this is just so simple. I gotta ask, is there anything that is differentiating this from the multitude of TV episodes you've watched, Stuart? Because to me, this feels like I'm watching an episode. The quality of the animation is way up. I'll tell you that. It comes from mostly, I would say 80% is the Marauder. But there does seem to be a, a harder edge of danger coming from them because I think, yeah, as Justin said, he's clearly defined in the sense that I don't feel like we've had good villains in the past. And here, here's someone that seems like a threat, and we know he won't stop until he gets Celebi. And Celebi got injured with the time travel somehow. I'm, I watched this movie twice, and I didn't ever quite get why he was dying after the time travel, but they go to a magic lake. Again, Celebi is my least favorite. They, yeah, they do all this dramatic stuff about, yeah, he's just always falling over. I mean, there's that's just a crutch. You put something cute out there and then you have it dying and then, you know, that gets out all the tears going and everyone's concerned about it. Like, E.T. did more than that. You know, you want to get into that realm. It does kind of feel like a space alien. I mean, it definitely comes out of the heavens, but they could establish reasons to care. They've established reasons why I don't like the villain. They haven't established reasons why I would like Celebi other than those big adorable eyes. That is what they're hinging everything on. Well, that, and they tell us why to care. They don't really show us why to care. The, the whole purpose of the old lady, or the lady from the beginning of the movie, is that she's the character telling us that the forest is special this forest is nature this should be preserved we should preserve nature and the celebi is the keeper of nature which if you time travel that seems like too much responsibility like you do one or the other but if i all i can say is i time traveled i wouldn't be alone in a tree you know like i would be going back and forward and trying to influence the world as it's developing. I mean, I don't know why you would seclude yourself in a remote place with no human beings. Sure, that's why I'm saying they don't show us. They should have showed us maybe another scene where Celebes protect the forest from a city coming in or something, you know, but... Yes, this should be a forest in being encroached by technology and civilization. That would be something more dramatic and would give you more bang out of this whole time travel thing. But, you know, Celebi, what we see is that at first he does not trust Ash or Sam. He's, like, knocking him back with his powers and vines and all of that. But eventually, yes, I think because they're able to heal him in this lake of life, he takes him for some corny E.T. ride flying around glowing. Yeah, it was really feeling E.T. when it dies, comes back to life, and now we fly. I was just waiting for the pseudo John Williams score that did not come. But I thought for sure, instead of da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, we'd hear something like da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> Lots of girly giggling going on, too, during these scenes. Yeah, his... B B. Oh, yeah. Everything about Celebi is something I don't like. And again, I'm learning to ignore him. There are other things going on and there are things I do like, but he ain't it. Sam and Ash 
that's a more interesting relationship because, again, we don't know it the first time through, but Sam is actually going to be the mentor for future Ash. And so the fact that they're becoming friends here in the future, establishing a relationship before he knows him as the creator of the Pokédex and the guy that's going to give him Pikachu, it's kind of sweet when they have this campfire scene and they do the sketch of Pikachu and Celebi. And it becomes, this is the only bit of paradox we get, is Ash tells him what a Pokédex is, and then he's going to go on to invent the Pokédex. Mm-hmm. Not quite Back to the Future, but again, you can see them semi-influenced by all the major 80s time travel movies. I wish they had been more influenced, frankly. Time travel can be fun if you really are willing to explore the concept. It may be confusing for small children who haven't been alive long enough to really have a perspective on time. If you're going for a real young audience, they wouldn't understand what 40 years is, so maybe that's why they're backing away. And I think a lot of this series hinges on that point, Stuart. You've talked about we don't see Ash and Pikachu growing up and stuff like that, and I think it's because the series is firmly planted in the fact that childhood is an era. Most kids don't see themselves growing up. Everybody's always the same age in your mind. There's The kids that were three years older than you are always going to be the older kids, no matter how old you get. So in a series that runs this long, yeah, it's going to become a problem when you're watching it this far down the line. But in the moment, I don't think it's that big of an issue. So if you're watching this as a kid, you're just going along to get along with it. One interesting thing, speaking of being a kid that's discussed here, is Sam says to Ash, doesn't your mother miss you when he's out <laughs> among the world? He goes, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, she's kind of clueless. He says many insensitive things of like, well, at least I'm not stuck in the future. Oh, sorry. But yeah, like, it's just as insensitive about his mother. I mean, maybe she's crying about me. I don't know. I got other things to worry about. Well, I was thinking it was different. Like, he's thinking she should be more worried about my 10-year-old self out in the wild undergoing life-threatening adventures. I'm not just a Pokemon trainer. I'm a superhero constantly in danger. And he's like, she's not really worried about me. I, I guess she's worried about me. <laughs> okay, you're right. Maybe he is the 10-year-old. So you're right. I'll give him more of a pass. I blame the mom lots, believe me. But both of them feel like they're just very emotionally disconnected. <laughs> and once again, from a kid's perspective, I feel like that's just saying, yes, Ash has a mom, and yes, he hasn't been home for a long time, but guess what? They're not worried about it, so you don't need to worry about it. Because that's not what this is about. Yeah, and they don't bring her in. Yeah, she's not in this one. Mm -hmm. They do a good job of making it more about Team Rocket. This Marauder and the others come back, you know, with that spider mech, and they really, like, they use the dark balls, they get Celebi, and yeah, this is, again, the frightening concept of cute becomes evil, purple smurf. Or, you know, they already kind of did this. I imagine some kids thought Mew was very cute. So to see him get mutated into that Mewtwo thing was probably upsetting in the first movie. It's a weirder thing here because Celebi is going to create a, a wicker man? What should we call this thing? <laughs> I <laughs> thought it was just a viney Godzilla or something. It's a kaiju, yeah. It's a giant because we, you know, it's just very satisfying and part of Japanese kid cartoon culture to have these these big kaiju. He creates something much bigger than himself that allows Marauder to walk around and feel like, hey, I don't need Giovanni and the rest of Team Rocket anymore. I can take over the world. 
I mean, one forest fire and it's over, but, you know, <laughs> I guess the guy can dream. <laughs> I just didn't understand why, after establishing that the Dark Ball takes a Pokemon and evolves it to its highest form, that it didn't affect the Celebi that way. I mean, instead of animating a big, weird, wicker kaiju, why not just make a big Celebi monster version? I think it would give kids nightmares. I still have purple Smurf nightmares. I mean, you could do it. I mean, I'm all for that. On some level, I like to be scared if it gets resolved correctly as a child. So why not? I mean, Wizard of Oz is scary for kids and it's a timeless classic. Why not go for big emotions? Well, I just feel like the series is all about coddling. They could have done that. It would have been satisfying, and I'd probably like Celebi more if I knew that he had an inner demon side. And certain Pokemon, disappointingly, don't evolve much. Like, some can evolve three different levels, and some maybe one, and so I'm wondering if it's just predefined that Celebi is already at the highest level of evolution. I mean, it's pretty dang powerful as it is. The fact that it can time travel and all this. But yeah, I was a little bit disappointed that evil Celebi, A, looks no different. B, despite being in the dark ball, comes back and you can just plead with him. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm not evil anymore. The dark ball should have a better hold on people. There needed to be a mechanism of turning him back from evil or I went too dark. I thought he should die. I thought this Celebi should die and then Celebi from the past would come or we'll talk about his death, but I thought other Celebi could fix the situation in a different way than they do. But yeah, there needed to be something like a light ball to break the spell, not the worst part of Temple of Doom. Please, Indy, don't you remember me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Temple of Doom had to be in their minds. And who better to have that tech than who we find out Sammy to be? Wouldn't that be cool to, like, have Sammy have invented a light version of that ball previous to all this? And then when we find out that that's the professor later on, it kind of ties it all back. That'd be a cool resolution. Again, character work is what you want to see in a time travel. Who they were, who they become, how the two influence one another. For a more sophisticated audience, just think about older. I mean, I get that kids wouldn't understand that, but there's things here for kids. There's not enough here in this whole series for adults. And it didn't have to be that way. But, you know, this is where we get back to Suicune, who is going to be really... I guess he's the one that kind of comes in and saves them. He saves them to a point. Ash and Sam are about to be shot by the Wicker Man, and Suicune, like, I don't know, he gets caught up in vines, but he at least saves them from a blast or two and gives them the opportunity to crawl inside this Wicker Man and plead their case to Celebi for being good again. We're told he's the personification of the North Wind. Okay, whatever that means. And we're told that he can clean up lakes. So I think they've, you know, all but telegraphed his use. The Celebi needs healing again because it's always falling over dead. <laughs> well, all right, the lake's polluted. Guess I'll have the horse run through it and it'll all be fine. It is kind of a surprise that they don't have an easy fix for Celebi here at the end. And here's what I thought was going to happen is when Celebi dies... His seeds fall out. And I thought for sure Celebi would die, but those seeds would become five new Celebi. And you could play it as reincarnation or something like that. Celebi, you're alive and you have five brothers. But something like that, I did not expect A, those seeds dropping to be meaningless, and B, that 
we're going to just have Deus Ex Celebi come around and fix everything. I thought because it was time travel, once I realized that Suicune wasn't the answer, I thought, well, then it had to be the time travel. Like, it's also worth pointing out that Jesse had gotten sucked up in the Wicker Man, and I think she's dead. Like, she goes down and that it falls into the lake, and I'm like, well, they're just going to kill characters, so necessitating the reason to use Celebi to go back in time, Superman style, turn the world backwards, and get it to the point where all these people can live again. <laughs> this isn't Pokemon Endgame. I mean, we are still in a kid's movie here, but <laughs> I do agree there's some missed opportunities for some more mature themes that they could aim at a lower, younger audience. Speaking of mature themes, when we get the music and the heavens open up and all of these brothers and sister Celebes come out, I'm like, is that Barbara Streisand? I would love a J-pop redo of people, people who need Pokemon. It sounded like that, kind of. It did have a good nappy vibe to it. I'll give you that. It was, it was kind of lullaby-ish. And I'm also thinking each movie has had lesser music than the one before. We started off being like, oh my God, they've got Christina Aguilera. They got Britney. The second one, they've got Weird Al. This uh, one, know, Donna Summer. I mean, <laughs> but yes, I, I yes, that's a step down in 2000 to have Donna Summer and not Britney. And this one, we have music. <laughs> yeah, maybe they're big in Japan. I don't know. But I just don't like the Celebi. Is it the same Celebi coming from different points in time to heal itself? Why would he have brothers and sisters? What does that breeding look like? I don't want to know. Well, I don't ever think there's only one of any Pokemon. And what the old lady with the bread says is, oh, that's the sound. So you don't need to be afraid from one Celebi, but when all the Celebi get together, they make the sound that frightens people. Or heals them. I mean, it makes the trees glow blue and yeah, it just drapes everything in, you know, celestial harmony. It, it, it's just such an easy out. And I know I'm not the audience. I mean, I am. I love it. But come on. They could, they could try for something a little bit more sophisticated. I know in the 80s when they didn't have a lot of so-called movies for very young kids, you just learn to adapt. You learn to appreciate what you could in the movie and you left the rest. And when you came back to it as a tween and a teen, you found new layers. Here, when the kids outgrow this movie, there'll be no reason to go back. Unless, I guess, they just love seeing cute little green puffs come from the sky and heal Celebi and give us this tearful ending. I mean, I knew it would involve tears, and they do cry a river here, all the Pokemon that have gathered to watch the resurrection. Yeah, I was just glad it didn't become like a tear resurrection again. I thought maybe they were going to start aping from themselves from the original movie here. What I love is the fact that Ash is crying more about this kid he knew for 12 hours than his own mother, who he hasn't seen for two years. <laughs> <laughs> He's still 10. It's been just a few months. Okay, I can't get over that. But yes, you're right. Time is very weird. Even though I'm spending years of my life watching him, he will never age. But yeah, they want to underline the fact that it's been more meaningful than most of the people he encounters. This exchange with this young boy who is kind of like him, you know, that seemed to be before it was hip, a Pokemon collector 40 years ago, and he's going back in time, and, and wouldn't it be something for him to stay and maybe join him? Because God knows we're tired of Brock and Misty. I mean, he could definitely bump one of them off and join him on the road. Then we get 
him getting a call from Professor Oak and Professor Oak is telegraphing in every way, hey, I'm Sam. And I'm thinking all this stuff, he's going to reveal he's Sam. And then the phone call ends and I'm like, he's not Sam. I mean, again, with time travel, it's only been 40 years. Sam isn't dead. You know, it's not like Sam went to the Old West and you can go visit Sam's grave. Sam is walking around somewhere. Professor Oak is only like 50. He looks really old. Yeah, but when they're leaving, I mean, they really overstress the idea like our friendship will be forever. I mean, again, the title of this movie, uh, I think that they're telling us that it is someone that he knows. And so who else could it be? But it also brings in, like, all those time travel questions. Like, does this version of Professor Oak just now realize that that experience happened? Or did that experience just happen giving him memories of something that happened to him 40 years ago? It just gets into this whole ball of, like, what really happened in each of these timelines. And it's easier to just hint at it and then show the notebook and say, oh, yes, they really can be friends forever. And they have been. Here's how I would play it, is Back to the Future rules. Professor Oak couldn't tell Ash until after Ash had this encounter because it would alter the timeline. But now that this has happened, why doesn't Professor Oak go, Ash, it's me! Yeah, I don't know that they play with it in future episodes. I think there is a concern about doing too much to these characters that would mean that they'd have to portray them differently in previous or future episodes. It feels self-contained. You can remember this moment and know this about their relationship for the rest of the run of the show, or you can never have seen it and it wouldn't make any impact. But if Ash knew, it wouldn't necessarily be something you bring up all the time. It could just be something he finds out, and then that's that. And he would know, and we would know. It frustrates me how little these movies actually impact crap. Yeah, well, I get that. I mean, they feel very simplistic and soothing. Always ending on a joke, Team Rocket. Even Jesse, she's not dead. She's just floating dead man style. And then James and Meowth row up in a, you know, raft trying to pick her up, almost get eaten by the Tyranitar and make a Calgon joke. Do people know this reference? But there was a commercial in the 70s where, like, these stressed housewives would lie in a bathtub and say, Calgon, take me away. It was a bubble bath. And that's... That's what they're doing here at the end. I guess here I was saying that they only make things for the kids. They threw one for the middle-ager there. It's always Team Rocket. Team Rocket is where I get my joy. You want to make me really happy? Team Rocket the movie. Yeah, I do feel like, yes. If we could see them in their private life when they're not chasing Pikachu, that could be a very fun spinoff. You guys just made me realize that that's something we don't know about yet. There's probably going to be live-action Team Rocket in Detective Pikachu. Mm. Yeah. I've seen very little about that movie, and what I've seen hasn't made me as happy as the movies we're watching. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's see how happy this made you. Justin, Stuart, do you choose to recommend Pokemon Forever? Justin. Ah, This series is so hard to wrap my arms around because I know there's so much lore around it and there's so much information that I know is out there that I just don't have. There's time and place elements. Like, did I need to be 10 when I saw this movie the first time? So it's really hard for me to, like, be critical of this as a 45-year-old dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it wasn't made for my time and now I'm watching it with all this extra information and I don't know what to do with it. 
<laughs> I really don't. I'm not hating this. Like, I would rather sit through one of these movies than some of the other previous ones that we've sat through that just seem like a long slog through horror genres that just didn't make much sense at the end of the day. But watching this, I was enjoying this movie. I agree with all the criticisms that we brought up throughout this review. And they could have done so many things better. They could have done things different. They could have made it tighter. But this movie looks a little better than the previous ones. It's a more engaging story. They definitely shot higher and aimed higher with the storytelling here. Did they hit all the notes properly? No. And to Stuart's point, I think it does hinge a lot on whether or not you're going to go with Celebi as a cute, lovable character or you're going to hate him. And personally, I didn't hate him. I thought it was a cute looking thing. I could see getting a plushy toy of it if I was 12 so out of all of these, I guess I have to look at them and say, was this one better than the last? And I would watch this one again before I watch the Molly story again. So on that note, I'm going to recommend it a little bit higher than that not recommend, but it's still on the not recommend side <laughs> oh, of the Really? <laughs> I, because I, I know, I, I'm not really surprised because I'm just playing a character that likes this. I mean, yes, if I were to be completely honest, none of these movies are something that I would choose to do. So yes, not recommend makes as much sense as anything. All right, Pika Stew, let's hear your haiku. Hope you never see a Pokemon as sappy as this Celebi. B, 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 B. It makes me want to burn trees. Commit supaku. If I turn back time and return myself to grade three, there is green arrows. At the very least, this is the most coherent and well-drawn movie. Hush the forest's voice, and it says something about the environment. You don't know what. It's just something. It's something. And, you know, sometimes we struggle to try and encapsulate what was the point. It's the storytelling. This is the cleanest, most digestible story they've told. Maybe a little sappy. Certainly hinged on a character I didn't love. But, yeah, I'm going to say this one's my favorite. Barney <laughs> <laughs> doesn't agree a lot. He looks like I looked when he was the mass marauder. <laughs> I tried watching this movie twice because I could not find myself engaged on almost any level. <laughs> I've found myself engaged with a couple of these previous movies. It's not the property. It's specifically this story, and it's really overly drawn way of telling the story where we have to introduce the guy to put you on the boat that takes you to Arborland and the time travel that doesn't make any sense. And yeah, I got about an hour into this movie. That's only about 70 minutes. Yeah. And I was like, I got to start over. I don't know where I am. And I started over and I realized I didn't even miss anything. I knew exactly what was going on. I just find it lacking. And you're right. I was a little harsh on the animation. I felt like the storytelling and the structure, the structure of the opening credits, the way the song played felt television. But yes, the Celebi Kaiju did look pretty cool. That might have even been some CGI there. Oh, yeah, I'm sure of that. That was an advancement in CGI for them. But what I really had to ask myself is, again, does it justify being a movie? Would you go to the theater for this when Pokemon is on at least two and a half hours a week for free to go and pay money? Does this offer anything to make it worth it? I'm going to say no. It's going to be a red arrow. Again, I point out, you're not watching the cartoon. This looks better than the cartoon. It is 
at least in the season that I want, the Johto years, to me, this is a brighter spot than that. But I do wonder, is some of this that we're all feeling fatigued? Is some of this we need a break from Pokemon? We're going to get one. We're going to take the next four weeks off because we got all of these movies to go to in theaters. We got what, next week's Sh- Shazam. Then Pet Cemetery, a make good on Hellboy, and then eventually Avengers Endgame, and then we will get back to the fifth and final animated Pokemon movie, Pokemon Heroes. I also think, according to a lot of the fan sites, this is cited as one of the weaker films. So, Arnie, what you're picking up seems to be something that people that like Pokemon also feel like this one was just off from some of the previous installments. Do they like the next one better? No. i want to give you hope but there is none well the hope is that our listeners who enjoy us going through the video game retrospective also enjoy us going to the old west as we are finishing up the man with no name trilogy of reviews this friday as we deal with the classic the good the bad and the ugly Oh, yes. This is epic movie. Leone kept getting bigger. You know, Fistful of Dollars, he really started to establish a trademark style. I think a lot of people will recognize, even if they've never seen a Western. And they just kept getting more grandiose. This one's epic. And then eventually, when we get to his later films, they get even bigger still. But this is certainly going to be a highlight. And I look forward to sharing my thoughts on it to all those that can join us for Silver Level. And if you can go even bigger, I think reliving the summer movies of 1989 is going to be a hell of a lot of fun. We're going to start that in April as well, starting with Dead Poet Society. Yes, that movie is 30 years old. And in between, if you are a patron of $10 or more, you're going to get a big podcast next week. It may not be literally that big. I mean, it's a simple, cute body swap movie. But yes, we're going to cover the 1988 summer film with Tom Hanks. Big. Because it looks so much like Shazam, I just felt like we can't cover Shazam until we cover Big. Yeah, if he was the right age, he'd be good casting for a new Shazam. But as it is, he might be a little old for that. Yeah, when he was that age, he was just going Joe versus the volcano. So, you know. (laughs) All right. Well, listeners, thank you for joining us. I think even those who have been so kind about our Pokemon reviews may be enjoying the next month of all theatrical releases. I know I'm not going to watch a single cartoon between now and Pokemon Heroes. And Justin Stewart, thank you for joining me. I'm going to take my Pokeballs and go home. Game over. I know we did the right thing, Jesse. And it feels great. Well, this is it then. Let's not say goodbye. Let's just say... We're gonna die. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. A celebration of the harmony between humans and Pokemon. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Thank you all for everything. Maybe I'll see you again. Someday. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Case closed, but still open until I solve it. 
Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. I could use pants. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. There's another credit on Pikachu's charge account. We've got to grab it. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. Take the treasure and put it there. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. I haven't seen this many strange letters since the last time I placed a personal ad. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Yeah, you're right. I can do it. I'm the chosen one. Associate produced by Jason Latham. He's always the hero. We're always a zero. Now Playing is edited by Stephen, Heath, and Arnie. Humans may have created me, but they will never enslave me. This cannot be my destiny. Now playing credits, read by Brock. Did you just understand me? Oh my god! You can understand me! Stop! I've been so lonely! The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. That's a twist. That's very twisty. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. He's saying you can shove it. What? I can shove it? Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Listen up. We got ways to make you talk. Or mine. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2019. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. I know. You can't understand me, but I will electrocute you. But once a happy ending. Team Rock is signing off again! <laughs> and it was... Is it a... Uh... Hercule? No, uh, who's the one who did the journey? The, the Minotaur, right? Yeah, the Minotaur. Um, who Theseus. fought the Minotaur? What? Uh, Odysseus. Theseus. Theseus? I believe so. Odysseus? Who the hell's that? I thought uh, it was Odysseus. 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 Well, let's Google this shit. Yeah. We're really getting <laughs> enough on that paper. <laughs> uh, there's the Odyssey. I don't remember any Odysseus. Yeah, he was, he was the guy who stars in the Odyssey. No. Yeah, Odysseus. No, no that's wrong. The Odyssey.
Ajax is the one with the Achilles heel that dies, but the main guy is... Hmm. Yes, the poem focuses on the Greek hero Odysseus, known as Ulysses. Right, you're not saying it right there. It's not Odysseus. I... O-D-Y-S-S-E-U-S. Okay. All right. King of Ithaca. But... It was Did he Theseus fight a Minotaur? versus the Minotaur. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put all my chips on that. <laughs> and what this has to do with Pokemon Master Trainer, we're getting further and further away from. Wasn't there like, uh, so the Minotaur was in a, a maze or something? Boy, yes. I mean, come on, Arnie. Yes, it, you know the Minotaur in the maze. You got to get to the center of it. Yes. Okay. It's on Crete. <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> So, Justin, what this is, is I'm actually holding... Robert, I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say okay. You also say, is it in? Is it mainly purple? Hit the button. Turn that off. All right, let me... Yeah, cut. All right. But Disney probably doesn't want another mouse out there competing <laughs> with their mouse. And so they put this movie out in only 242 theaters... In October 2001, a few weeks after 9-11, with kids in school, this comes out and makes, you know, not even a million dollars. In Disney's defense, I doubt if they could foresee 9-11. I oh, mean, yeah. maybe there was some collusion with George <laughs> W. But I think this and Donnie Darko both just were subject to bad timing. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm not going to accuse them of flying the planes and the towers. I'm just saying that October is not a time to release a kid's film. And that with the added stress of people being more glued to their television sets than wanting to go to see a Pokemon movie, this did very dismal. You might call it a flop when you look at the box office numbers, but in truth, it had no hope because it was on very few screens and it made as much per screen as Pokemon 3 did. They could have done the same business. I'm sorry, kill all of that. It's October 11th, not not October 2001. Um, it's 2002, so I'll just say all that. Oh, a whole full year. Wow. <laughs> anyway, so let me just say all of that again. What a wonderful blooper, though. Yeah. It came out in Japan, summer 2000. I'll, I'll just say all this quick. All the games I've played, I've never played a Celery, but... Celebi. Celebi. I mean, you, could, you probably never played <laughs> celery either. It's not very delicious. <laughs> I thought it was celery. They kept saying celery. I also thought it was sweet coon, and I thought that was racially insensitive. <laughs> I was so offended, and I didn't even know why. You know, sometimes things sound like racial epithets, and you don't even... They're not, but they just have that ring. It's not sweet coon? It's sue queen so <laughs> I mean, they say... They say Suicune. Suicune is, is what it is, but the way that it's spelled looks very much like suicide. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a disconnect when I read it, and yeah. And to seal the deal, they look out into the landscape, and there's Sweet Coon. Again, that just... Oh, <laughs> I don't want to even use that terminology. <laughs> But it also brings in, like, all those time travel questions. Like, does this version of Professor X just now realize that... Oak. Professor Oak, not Professor X. I'm sorry. Sorry. Game over. It's Pokemon Spring Break. We know what that looks like. I need a vacation. <laughs> Crank the vitamin C. Mm -hmm. 